Let's pray. Lord, guide my words this morning as I share your message. We thank you that you have great love for us, love that was willing to die for us when we were stuck in our sin, love that provides us a solution, a way out of our sinfulness into righteousness and justification when we put our faith and trust in you. Help us to share this love with others as we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I was waiting for that to uh, finish right there. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. We appreciate all that you do. And uh, never underestimate the value and worth of a father. Hey, I was looking uh, for something to kind of honor our fathers this morning. And I was looking online to find something that we might be able to relate to. And I found this list. and It was actually on a church's website. and They put together this video I'm not going to show the video, but I'm going to read you some of the excerpts from it. But they made a funny video and entitled it was the top things that your fathers never said. So rather than things your father said, these are things that your father never said. Most likely here are some of them. If your friends say it is okay, it is okay. It probably is. You need to trust your friends. They have your best interest in mind. You should go out with that creepy guy with the motorcycle. Make sure you play all your video games before you do your homework. Life is always fair. I enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I can't open this jar. See if your mom can open it. For you modern parents today... Look at your cell phone when I'm talking to you. (laughs) Kids today really have it tough. When I was a kid, life was super easy. Most likely your dad never said that. Kids, we just stopped 10 minutes ago for lunch. But sure, we can stop again. I think 18 is a great age to get married. And these last three... I think, are uh, universal for every dad from every era. Could you, uh, no, I have no idea where we are or where we're going. (laughs) Yes, we're completely lost. And finally, I need help. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Well, most likely your dad never said any one of those things. But I want to focus on those last three about being lost and not knowing what to do and needing help. Because I think if we're all honest, not just dads, but all of us have come to times when we realize that we need help. And I know over, uh, as I look at my life over the last 10 years, I can think of two things in particular, one from about six or seven years ago, and one that just happened a few days ago, where I realized that I needed help. Even though I didn't want to admit it, I couldn't do it on my own. The first was as a new homeowner, I was trying to save money, and I looked at my soffit, you know, by the roof, and you don't have a gutter on a lot of these homes in the low country, and my soffit was rotting out, and I'm like, I'll fix it. And we have a friend who's, uh, who's in construction, and so he agreed to help me a little bit, 
And as we started ripping off the soffit, we noticed that the, the plywood underneath the roofing was wet in several places. And we're like, well, we'll just rip off some of the roofing and replace the plywood and put a little more roofing on. Well, as we ripped off the plywood, we saw that the rafters were rotting out in several spots. We'll just, you know, just kind of uh, put some, you know, next to the rafters and, uh, you know, we'll make, our, we'll make new rafters. Well, this two-day job was turning into much more. We didn't have the tools or the knowledge. Didn't matter how many YouTube videos we watched. He didn't have the time. He had to get back to work. And I didn't know what I was doing. I needed help. I had to finally call a roofer. Cost me about $7,000, but every penny was worth it. They fixed my roof the way it needed to be fixed. I needed help. The second one happened just a few days ago. My nephew and niece are visiting from Massachusetts, and my sister and I were trying to figure out tickets, and we wanted to save money, and I left all the booking tickets to her because I, she usually does better that than I do. When she booked the tickets, she did one-way tickets, so one way from me flying from Savannah to Boston And then one-way tickets from me with her two kids to fly back to Savannah. And then she was, I mean, it was very complicated, but it saved us a few hundred bucks, right? So I get to the airport. I fly to Boston. Everything's good. Pick up my nephew and niece. We go to the airport the next day. We barely made it, by the way. So we get there. We go through the first checkpoint. We're getting ready to go to the last checkpoint. I show them my tickets, and the lady says, those tickets are from Savannah to Boston, not Boston to Savannah. And I'm looking at that and going, what? And so then I go to the kiosk to try to print out the right tickets. There are no right tickets. She had made a mistake. And there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, like, erase the one or put an arrow so it would, uh, it wasn't going to work. didn't matter how much I talked to that security, the TSA people, they were not letting me on that flight. Fortunately, my nephew and niece looked very worried. They had big eyes. I trained them well. I was like, you know, look desperate. And uh, the lady said, we'll see what we can do. So they found flights for us a few hours later. And 12 hours later, we ended up in uh, back in uh, Savannah Airport and and made it back. I needed help. There's no way I could fix that situation on my own. I had the wrong ticket. Now, whether you're a dad or not, we all have this universal uh, problem that we can't do things on our own all the time as much as we try. We don't like to admit this. A lot of us were brought up with that Protestant work ethic and with that false theology that the Lord helps those who help themselves. And we think that if we just try harder, if we can work harder, we can work everything out from those from construction projects to our relationships and even with our relationship with their with God. See, this theology of trying to just do enough good to make God like us, it doesn't work. We need help. And the good news is, even though there's nothing we can do on our own to make our relationship right with God, no matter how much we try, we have a God that loves us so much that he provides us with a solution. He knows that we need help, that we can't fix this gulf that's between him and us. So he provides a way out. He lovingly helps us so that we can be reconciled with God if we'll put our faith and trust in him. In our reading in Romans this morning uh, that was read earlier, there's a famous verse that says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is our foundation. 
And God's love is so different than the world's kind of love because God's love exposes our problems. It lets us know that on our own, we can't fix ourselves. In Romans earlier in chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So all of us have this universal problem of sin, of separation from God. It began with Adam, the story of Adam in the garden, and that first sin with Adam and Eve. And that sin brought condemnation. It brought death. It brought separation. It brought that curse that we were separated and nothing we could do on our own could, could bring us into a right relationship with God. So we have this solidarity with all people and that we have this universal problem of being separated from God because of our sin. So it's inclusive. It includes everybody. In verse 18 from our reading in Romans, it says, One man's trespasses led to the condemnation for all. I know that sounds kind of depressing, but remember, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that he exposes our problem. Years ago, I got to go to an intervention. It wasn't something I wanted to go to, but a good friend of mine's friend was in trouble. And I knew the guy. I was friends with him too, but his one friend was a really close friend. So he gathered all the family, arranged this, and we met in this Methodist church, and we all got in a big circle. And his family loved him so much that they wanted to expose this problem of addictions with drugs and alcohol that he had. See, they could have tiptoed around it or pretend like it didn't exist like they had been doing for years, but it had come to that point, that critical point, where they had to show them how much they loved him. They had to expose the problem. But God doesn't leave us in our problems. He doesn't leave us stuck. He provides a solution. And this solution includes everybody, involves everybody. It's universal in this way. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not just us, but he died for everybody. In John 3.16, that famous verse that many of us have memorized, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God gave his son Jesus to die for our sins so we could have access to God. He did this for, for me. He did this for you. He did this for everybody. As theologians like to say, and as Paul was trying to lay out in Romans, that, this, that there's a second Adam, and this second Adam is Jesus. And rather than bringing condemnation and death, he brings justification in life. And he offers a free gift to everybody. It was a free gift, but it cost dearly. It was his son's blood that has saved us, that has brought us access to the Father. None of us deserve this. John Calvin said this, God first loved us without being provoked, thereby, thereto, by our love. In other words, God made the first move. He didn't say, you know what, they're doing enough good to make them kind of lovable, I'd, I'll die for them. No, God loved us at our worst, even when we were still sinners, when we were stuck in this condemnation and death, Christ died for us. 
said in our Romans passage, for if the many died through one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. This justification leads for life for all who believe. There's a great story uh, about a uh, family, and I think this kind of illustrates what Christ did on the cross, where there was a family and they were driving, and there was a little girl in the car who was deathly allergic to bees, a severe allergy. And all of a sudden they noticed that there was a bee in the car. And the girl started freaking out. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, the the bee's going to sting me. The bee's going to sting me. So the dad calmly pulled the car over, caught the bee in his hand until the bee stung him. Then he let the bee go and said, you don't have to worry anymore. I took the sting for you. See, on the cross, Christ took that sting of death so that all of us have the opportunity to have eternal life. But this intervention that God did on the cross, this universal solution is not universalism. And that like, okay, now we're all okay. Let's just go home. It requires a decision. Karl Barth, the theologian, said it's that critical moment where we have to decide what we're going to do with what Christ did on the cross. Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to put it on the shelf? Or are we going to open the gift? It says in our reading, but the free gift is not like the trespass. It's a free gift and it's for every single one of us. But that gift needs to be opened. It says those who receive the gift, the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness, exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, we can have life and have it to the full, like Greg talked about several weeks ago, because we are walking with God in life. We've accepted the free gift. We're going to walk with him rather than try to do life on our own. We've accepted the help. It's a universal gift, but it requires us to make a decision. It needs to be confirmed through our faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says these words, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You think again of the analogy of the first Adam and the second Adam, the old creation that brought condemnation and death, and the new creation in Christ that brings life, brings a new start. And it's not because of our good works. It's because of what Christ has done in us accepting and opening this free gift through faith. Earlier in Romans, uh, Paul writes this, that this righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ, that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. It's putting our whole weight, our whole trust in Jesus. It's saying, I admit I can't do life on my own. I admit that I have this problem, this universal problem of sin, where I understand that you provided a solution, and that solution involves me, but I understand that it requires a decision. So I'm going to put my whole self in, or as I've said before in a sermon, I'm going to jump with both feet in the pool. I'm not going to no longer just kind of see if it's hot or cold. I'm going to make this decision 
to open this gift of faith. So the question remains, when we put our faith and trust in Christ's love, what will this do for us? Will we be any different? Or will we just be more like, hey, I got my salvation card? Well, no, God doesn't leave us there. He brings us the Holy Spirit to live in our heart so that we can have the courage and the strength to live out this love to all people. And not the world's kind of love where it's like, I love you, you love me, we're like a happy family. Instead, it's a love where we go out and we tell people the truth, just like that family did at the intervention. That we tell people about this thing that Christ did on the cross, that he died for everyone, this solution that he has for everyone's life. But we tell them the truth that God loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to make a decision, to open that gift. You know, no analogy is perfect, but can you imagine that girl if she said to her father, I don't believe you took that stinger out of the bee. I'm going to live in fear of that bee. I'm not going to trust you. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to see you, Dad. I'm just going to cower in a corner. Well, in a sense, that's what it's like for people who don't believe. God paid the price for all of our sins on the cross. He took away that sting of death, and yet many of us don't want to accept that. We want to live as if the bee still has a stinger. God loves us so much that he's not going to force that on us, but he's going to keep whispering in our ear over and over again, I love you. i got a solution. I'm here to help. Put your trust, your hope, and your faith in me. You know, I've known a few kids over the years who've worn those ankle bracelets because they've been in trouble, and uh, it's interesting – you know, they, they were telling me, I've talked to some of them about it, that, you know, it definitely keeps them on the straight and narrow because they can't go over a, you know, out of the state or they can't go here, they can't go there. But really, for all of us, if we try to do faith and life on our own, it's like wearing that ankle bracelet. That's what the law was like in the Old Testament. It was a reminder that we needed help, that we couldn't do life, uh, and that we had to constantly try to obey all these rules And the reason God had the law was to let us know again and again that we needed help. That even the best rule follower, the person who was always dotting their I's and crossing their T's, couldn't measure up. And that's why God sent us the Holy Spirit. He took that ankle bracelet off our ankle, puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so that we can live a life of freedom, a life of love, to share the good news with everybody we meet. And this love compels us. Paul wrote in another one of his letters to the Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In that same letter, as I remind you earlier, he wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. He said, be reconciled to God. So when we understand this, we're able to share these words with people about what truth is, about what love is. And our actions and our ethics are no longer rooted in moralism, trying to just be good enough so God will like us. Instead, it's a response of what God has done for us. And VBS this week, this last week, we had a great time 
And one of the, the, the main slogan was, do good, seek peace, and go after it. I had to look at my notes. My three-year-old has it memorized. She can do all the hand motions with it. But you see, these words of doing good, seeking peace, and go after it are possible when we put our trust and faith in Christ. Because he fills us with our Holy Spirit and helps us to live lives, humble lives, that reflect this love to all that we meet. That understand that the Prince of Peace wants us to bring peace to this world. And we do go after it when we understand that. The first Adam... Sin, condemnation, and death. Jesus, the second Adam, put the final end to this story. It's a free gift with justification in life, but a gift needs to be received. So I have questions for you all this morning. Do you recognize that the cross of Christ has intersected with your life? Are you pushing that away? Are you trying to live life on your own terms? Are you just dipping your foot in the water? Have you recognized that you can't live forever? In our society, oftentimes the slogans uh, don't really indicate that Uh, with us. They almost kind of encourage us that we're never going to die. But yet Christ has a better solution rather than just trying to do more exercise or eat right. Even though that's all important, he says, put your trust in me. I will bring you eternal life that begins now for eternity. You no longer need to fear the sting of death when you trust me. You cannot live a first-rate life if you're not connected to your creator and to your author. So are you living the old life or are you living the new life that is found in Christ? Years ago, I took two kids to a, a camp. It was an outreach camp. And they couldn't have been more different. You had one kid that parents would have termed the good kid. He wasn't into drugs or drinking, didn't do much wrong. And you had the other kid who was a complete screw-up. And they heard this same message that I'm giving to you all today. And the kid who was called the good kid struggled because he didn't see himself as bad. He didn't understand this first part, that he had a problem. So it was hard for him to accept this gospel message. Where the other kid, one night in our cabin time, said, I'm a complete screw-up. I was in a mental institution for depression because I tried to kill myself. I need help. I believe that Jesus died for me. And he had a huge smile on his face. I was like, okay. He goes, and I want that gift. I want to open that gift. You see, the issue with both those kids is there was no good kid or bad kid. They were just two kids that needed Christ. The one recognized it. The one didn't right away. So who are we as a church? For those of us who have humbly recognized that God loves us, we understand that we have a problem, we understand that we have a solution. For those of us who have received that gift, oftentimes it's easy to drop back into that legalism. We see ourselves better than other people. We have this judgment of us versus them, that we draw the line in the sand, and not in a good way, but in a way that's like, you know what, the world is bad, we're good. And that's unhealthy because that goes against everything I just talked about. We're not good. God is good. It's Christ in us that makes us uh, be able to live the Christian life. We can't do it on our own. We need help. Sometimes we act in silence. Uh, we don't want to offend anybody. We, you know, people might, might be uncomfortable. 
I have found that when you share humbly the message of what your testimony of what God has done in your life, of the gift that you've uh, received, people rarely mock you or run away. They appreciate it. They may not accept it, but they're willing to listen. See, God wants us to act in love. For God so loved the world. He didn't say, for God so judged the world. It doesn't say, so God was silent to the world. God loved, but it's not the world's kind of love. It's the kind of love that exposes our problems. It offers a solution, and it requires a response. The world needs this kind of love. In the movie Forrest Gump, for those of you who saw it, Forrest, who struggles mentally, a little bit mentally uh, challenged, but has a huge heart, and he loves this girl Jenny in the movie. But Jenny can't receive the love fully because she was abused as a child. She has these addictions, and she can't accept it. And one day in frustration, Forrest says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. See, the kind of love that God offers is for everyone. You don't need an advanced degree in theology. You don't need to read tons of books on love. You just need to understand that God loves you. That you have a problem when you try to do life on your own. That God offers a solution through the cross and through what Christ did on the cross for each and every one of us. But this requires a response. For many of you all, this is fundamental Christianity. This is the basics. But we need to go back to the basics over and over again to be reminded of who we are. And to be reminded that we need to go share this message with the whole world. This message of love through our words and through our actions. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that says in the scriptures, no greater love there is than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Those are the words of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for those words that you're willing to lay down our life for for us. We pray for those who have not received that gift, that this morning they would open that gift and realize they can't do life on their own. And for those of us who have, that we live lives that reflect this love, that we would do good, seek peace, and go after it because of what you've done for us. We would tell people about the gift. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.